following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew called Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. After Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. And from now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worship of God. Crispus, a synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincreate because of the battle he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatea and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, 
Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he rigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Thanks, J.D., for the scripture reading. It's good to be able to be with you this morning and to be able to spend some time um, opening up God's word together and to uh, be able to learn a bit more about what's going on in the book of Acts. Um, As we start and and we look at today's sermon, and obviously we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 18, I just want to wind you back in terms of where we've started from in the book of Acts. And if you remember in Acts chapter 1, there was a significant event that took place in Acts chapter 1. And that was the, uh, the disciples were together and they were with Jesus, and that event was the ascension when Jesus went back to heaven. And we talked about that right in, in the opening of this particular series, and the importance of the ascension in terms of the lives of the believers. But one part that also happened at that particular time was the fact that the Holy Spirit also came upon the believers in those early chapters of the book of Acts. And we see the change that took place within the life of the believers at that particular time because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, the name of this book is called the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, but some have said that perhaps could more effectively be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because if we trace the thread, and we've seen it already, that going throughout this particular book, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And right from the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we see the growth of Christianity and all that takes place around the the church and the growth that took place there. If you think about it, initially there was a very small group of believers in Jerusalem, but from that early beginning, throughout the book of Acts, things change extremely quickly. And today, as we look at this particular chapter, we're going to see some of the things that took place. And I guess for me, one of the characteristics that we see in this chapter is a couple of things. Firstly, is the names that are mentioned in that book. And you notice as J.D. read out that passage, the number of names of people that are specifically mentioned in that particular chapter. And then the other thing that is there is the places that are mentioned as well. The number of places that are mentioned in this particular chapter. And I don't think either of those things are, are by chance but I think that they help us to understand and to see what's actually going on there. And I think the significance of what's going on there is the fact that the gospel transforms lives regardless of location, regardless of of your ethnicity, and regardless of your status. And chapter 18 of Acts really talks clearly about what is going on in this particular book. Location, race, status are all addressed in this particular book here. But as I said, it's important that we understand the background to this, and this really takes place in, um, in Acts chapter 1. And what I want to do is I want to talk about what I call the Acts matrix. So uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 18, uh, verse 1, sorry, you'll be familiar with this particular passage. And it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So way back there, we see this particular verse there. And, and like I said, I call this the, the X matrix. And the reason I say it's the X matrix is a ma one of the definitions of a matrix is the cultural, social, or political environment in which something develops. And specifically what was developing here in the book of Acts is the church. The Holy Spirit through the church is transforming lives and it's transforming communities across the entire world. And you'll see there from that, that diagram, that graph I put there, on the one axis is the geography as it goes further and further out. And then the up axis is where the culture and the changes that take place as far as that's concerned. So it starts initially in Jerusalem moves out to Judea and Samaria, and then it moves out to the ends of the earth. And we see that this taking place as we've been reading through the book of Acts. The gospel is going out to the entire world. And if you think about that, as this book unfolds, that's exactly what we've seen. Remember, initially it was all about who? It was about the Jews. We read about um, people like, um, who did we read about? We read about Peter and John and Barnabas and the things that were taking place in Jerusalem began to spread further and we learn about Stephen and, and Philip and the persecution that's taking place and all that was going on at that particular time. Then we learn about Saul and the fact that he becomes a, a follower of Jesus Christ and some of the other people there, Peter and Cornelius. And you know, the gospel transformation continues to grow and grow and grow and we see these changes that are taking place in that life of the early church. You know, in this particular passage, uh, Acts chapter 18, I, as I went through there, I counted that the fact there were 14 different either cities or regions mentioned. Athens, Corinth, Pontius, Macedonia, Syria, Ephesus, Caesarea, Antioch, Galatia, uh, Alexandria, and the list goes on. Place names that are talked about and are so significant as far as that's concerned. The reality is the gospel was going out to every part of the known world and people's lives were being transformed. And that's what we see taking place in that particular region. So you think about in the early 30s, we see the gospel in and around Jerusalem. By the late 30s, it had spread to that next region out, Judea and Samaria. And then by the 40s, it had gone out to the known world at that particular time. And you know, they, they say, the tradition says that even probably as early as the 50s, it may be that the gospel got as far as India. And even by the beginning of the second century, places all around Europe and, and Britain and those sorts of places had been impacted by the gospel. The transformation was quick and it was significant. You might be able to see here, the map up here is about Paul's uh, missionary journey. This was his second missionary journey, and you can see where he went. He really covered what was known about the, the world at that particular time. Uh, and there's lots of cities they talk about, and there's three cities I want to talk about specifically, just to give you a bit of background. Um, the first one was Corinth, and this is specifically what most of this passage is about. And Corinth was situated on the isthmus in the southern part of, um, of what is uh, Greece, and it had two harbours. And these two harbours were close enough together that they had actually put a wooden rail between those two, so about five and a half kilometres, and that they would move the boats from one harbour to the other. So they'd push them up and over this isthmus uh, because it was a lot quicker and easier than navigating and sailing further south. And so therefore that they were dragged across that particular uh, narrow uh, bit of land there. 
It was also a major land route as well. So it really became a central hub for all that was going on in the world at that particular time. So whether it would be from some of these ships that came in there or some of the land routes, they really came together and it became a significant commercial centre at that particular time. But not only a commercial centre, it was also a religious centre as well. It was known for the worship of Aphrodite and, and that was the, the Greek goddess of love. And it's interesting that even by the, um, about the 5th century BC, that the, the phrase to Corinthianize meant to be sexually immoral. So even in the time that um, Paul was there in the city of Corinth, this city was known as being a sexually immoral city. It had a reputation. There, were, there was about a thousand prostitutes, sacred prostitutes in the temple there at that particular time. It's one of the cities. The second city was the city of Antioch. And this again was another significant uh, city in the southern part of the Roman province of Galatia uh, in what is, is modern Turkey today. And Paul visits uh, Antioch on a number of his missionary journeys and it became quite a focal point for all that he was doing. And again, when he was there, it was a very prominent city, an important city. And it became a an administrative city for the military in that particular region. Uh, a lot of the retired uh, people in the army would go and that they would live there after they had retired. So it became a very prominent city. It had been rebuilt by some of the early emperors and there were actually temples that were set up there for the worship of, of emperors. And uh, it became an important uh, city there for worship of emperors and also for pagan worship as well. So again, another important city in terms of uh, military and also in terms of worship at that particular time. And the third city was the city of Ephesus. And this was probably the most important city uh, in the province of Asia Minor, again, modern Turkey. It had a natural harbour and again, it became a large commercial city and was significant. And it was also there that the goddess uh, Artemis or Diana was, was there as well. That was where her temple was. The reason I wanted to talk a little bit about these uh, cities and all that was going on there is because I think it's important that we think about those cities compared to our modern city. You know, we think about our modern cities and the lifestyles of 21st century cities, like even the city here in Auckland that we're part of, and we think there's a significant difference between what was like in the ancient times and what we see in our modern cities. But the more I've looked at these cities and the more I've understood about what's going on, I think that somewhere like Auckland City is really just the same as Ephesus or Corinth or Antioch may have been, plus the technology. And, you know, they're really suffering from the same things. They're really struggling with the same issues as far as that's concerned. You know, they have uh, trade and commerce are very important for all of these cities. We see things they want to elevate people and to love uh, things, uh, whether they be um, the material things that they have or what's going on, it becomes more significant as far as that's concerned. And also these cities have no moral standards either. In just the same way that we have cities like Corinth that we're not concerned about uh, any morality, not much different than our cities today. So different city, same issues. And the reality was that Paul and the early Christians went to these different cities and the gospel was able to transform lives in these particular cities. If you think about the geographic growth of the church, it was quite phenomenal. As I've said, from that central part of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, 
through to places like Corinth and Ephesus that we're reading about today, the growth was quite phenomenal. The good news spread rapidly, and the epicenter from Jerusalem, the ripples just continue to go out and continue to go out. And it's significant to see the fact that the, the gospel didn't have any geographic boundaries attached to it. People went out and they went out and they went out with the gospel. And God used those people that traveled around that known world to transform lives and to transform the communities that they're part of. This was significant in what was going on. So not only did the gospel transform regardless of location, but it also transformed regardless of ethnicity. So remember again that in the ancient times when Jesus was upon earth, that basically if you wanted to um, follow the religion of Judaism, you had to essentially become a Jew. It was all focused around Jewish ritual and being racially a Jew. And even though there were the odd person that converted they essentially had to become Jewish to follow Judaism. And that was one of the radical things that took place as the gospel spread throughout the world at that time, is that it became different. So Christianity was not about being Jewish, but it was about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what happened was that people were now able to become followers of Jesus Christ. If you were a Jew, that was fine. But also if you were a Greek or you were a Gentile, that you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's really what was significant that took place as we moved through the book of Acts, is it moved out from being around a single race or a single ethnicity to include other people. The names that were mentioned there, think about Paul. What was he? He was a Jew, but he was also Greek as well. He became a follower of Christ. Aquila and Priscilla, they had been Jews, they had been in Rome, and that they had been cast out by the emperor, uh, and that they had been forced to leave there because of the persecution that was growing there, and that they had joined up with Paul in Corinth. We see Silas, he was a Jew, and he was a part of the early church, and he became a travelling companion of Paul as well. We see people like um, Titius Justus, and he was a Gentile, and he was sympathetic to Judaism, but he had clearly become a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, it talks about in, in this chapter 18 that he lived next door to the synagogue and that when Paul was being persecuted in the synagogue, he gave him lodgings and he was able to stay with Paul. Most likely, he was a, a Roman citizen as well. We see Crispus. He was the synagogue ruler, so clearly a Jew. But again, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And the list goes on. Sosthenes, Apollos, Timothy... People became followers of Jesus Christ and it didn't matter what their ethnicity was. Some of these people were Jews, some of them were Greeks, some of them were Gentiles. Some of them became believers and some of them didn't become believers. But the important thing to remember was the fact that regardless of what your race was, you could become a Christian. And that was something that was completely different. The gospel transforms regardless of what ethnicity you may have. doesn't matter. All are equal and all are welcome under God and that it doesn't matter upon the colour of your skin. You know, we live in an age where we talk about, you know, there's the, the hashtag Me Too and the hashtag Black Lives Matter and those things and, and those are important and they're addressing significant issues. But the reality is, as um, 
as Christians in that particular early time of the book of Acts, um, I suspect that they probably followed something like hashtag we all matter to God or hashtag anyone can become a Christian because those were the sort of things that were important to those believers at that particular time. They realised that the gospel transformed lives regardless of their ethnic background. And we need to understand. And for us today, that's probably not so important. We don't think about uh, our ethnicity as being such a big issue. But in that time, it was significant and that you needed to see that what was going on. But the reality is today that you could become a believer regardless of what your background is. So whether you were born in New Zealand, whether you were born in, uh, in Asia or South Africa, you know, even Australians become Christians. Everyone can become a Christian. Everyone can become a follower of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for all races. Regardless of where you're from, the gospel is available to us all. Next, we see that the gospel transforms regardless of status. It's interesting going through this particular chapter and seeing some of the things that took place in regards to the status of people there. So firstly, one thing that I noticed was that there was no regard for the gospel in regards to gender. You could be male or female or in that particular time, even eunuchs. And in this particular day and age, uh, however you may define your, your gender or your sexuality, the gospel is available to you. There is no regard for gender as far as the gospel is concerned. Uh, it doesn't matter about your status in society or your perceived status, the gospel is for you. As we look through... Um, this chapter, we see people that come from different parts of society. Some were, were, uh, were wealthy people, clearly. Some were rulers uh, of synagogues. Uh, but regardless, these people were able to become followers of Jesus Christ. So whether you are a slave or a free person, you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether you are the wealthiest person that existed or the poorest person that was around, you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is the whole aspect that the gospel transforms our status. It didn't matter what your status in society was, you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. And also age. You know, if you look through, um, through the book of Acts, you see some quite young people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. You'll also see some older people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. You see families that make decisions, and it talks about the whole family becoming followers of Jesus Christ. The reality is... You cannot use the excuse of being too young or too old to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everyone, regardless of your age or your gender or your status in society. <clears throat> you know, for, th for fun, I thought it'd be interesting to look at our congregation here at Shaw Community Church. So um, I've got this next diagram up here. That one there. So what I did is I got all the names of everyone in our church database and I did a word cloud. So you can see the names and probably you can see, uh, you might be able to see your name out there. I realise some are a bit small, but that's, that's the people that are in our church community here, that are in our, at least in our church database. And the reality is what that there shows to me is who our congregation is and what's important. But the reality is the gospel is available. If your name is up there, the gospel is available to you. And I know that many of you have received the gospels and are followers of Jesus Christ. 
But the reality is, even if your name isn't up there, the gospel is still available to you. It's available to everyone. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 18. It went out with the, the power of the Holy Spirit and people's lives were transformed regardless of where they lived, regardless of what their ethnicity was, regardless of their status in society. It is available to everyone. What I would have loved to have done, but I didn't have the data to do it, is I would have liked to have known where you were all born and to be able to put that up there as well. But I wasn't able to do that. Perhaps that might be a, a task for, a, for another day. But I'm sure that if we looked at the, the geographic spread of everyone, we would see that you have come from all different diverse parts of the world as well. The gospel is for everyone. And the reality is for some of you here today, perhaps you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have heard some of the message, but are not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I guess I would urge you, as Paul urged the believers in Corinth, and it says, he said this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. The reality is, regardless of where you are from or what you are like, today is the day that you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that we can follow the gospel. I know I'm starting to sound like a stuck record in this regard. The reality is, I hope you get my point. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is for everyone. And we see this in Acts chapter 18. It went out and it transformed lives. As I was going through this and, and studying through this chapter, I was, I was struck by a number of characteristics of the believers. Those who had received the good news and were transformed by the gospel had a number of characteristics. I noted that there were six Six traits of these believers that we see in, in uh, Acts chapter 18. And we're going to put these uh, six traits up there. Firstly, those that had become followers of Jesus Christ were involved in defending the faith. Wherever they were, they were faithful to defend the faith. Whether they were in front of rulers, in front of crowds, whatever they were doing, that they were always faithful to defend the faith. And that they were there and they were bold in their defence of the faith. They knew that it might cost them their, their status in society. They knew it may cost them uh, in some places their lives, but they were faithful to defend the faith. And I guess for us, are we as bold as what they were in taking opportunities to defend our faith and to be able to see the fact that we need to defend the truth that we believe in as followers of Jesus Christ? Secondly, we see the fact that they proclaim the gospel. These people were avid evangelists. They always looked for opportunities that they could share the good news of Jesus Christ. They took every place that they could find to share Jesus Christ. If you look at Paul, his pattern was whenever he went to a new city, he would do this. Firstly, he would go to the synagogue, if there was a synagogue, and he would go there and preach the gospel. If there wasn't a synagogue, he would go to the place where the believers met, or sorry, the, the Jews met, which was normally probably next to the river or something like that, but he would find where they were, and he would go there and he would preach the gospel. Every new city that he went to, he was faithful to proclaim the gospel. It was always proclaimed wherever Paul went. Thirdly, we see the fact that they discipled the believers. One of the characteristics that we see in Acts chapter 18 was the fact that they were faithful to mature people in the faith. If you look at the time that Paul spent in Corinth, it talks about the fact he was there for about a year and a half. What was he there for? He was there specifically that he could teach 
the followers of Jesus Christ about the faith so that they could grow and mature and become mature followers of Jesus Christ. We see um, later on there, we, talk, we see Apollos, and Apollos is described when he's in Ephesus as a man that is competent in the Scriptures. And what did he do? He taught the Word of God so that people could grow and mature in their Christian faith as well. These were people that, that knew the Word of God and were faithful to be able to pass the truth of that on to other people as well. And as leaders in the early church, they are characterised by proclaiming the gospel, but they're also characterised by maturing people so that they would grow in their faith. Fourthly, they worship the true God. Time and time again, we see the fact that they were worshippers of the true God. In fact, one of them there, um, who was it? Um, Justice was described as being a worshipper of God. That was his description. The reality was that the early believers gathered together and they worshipped God. Much like we're gathering together today, they would gather in homes, they would gather in public places for the purpose of worshipping God. Believers gather together to worship God. Fifthly, they remained faithful in opposition. These people experienced some significant persecution. They experienced lots of opposition, but they remained faithful. In fact, it's interesting to see that opposition was probably one of the main catalysts for the growth of the church. Why did the believers leave Jerusalem? Primarily because of the opposition that they were facing. Why did they leave um, some of those that were up in Italy, up in Rome? Why did they leave there and go to other places? Because of the opposition that was taking place. So opposition actually became a critical factor in regards to the growth of the early church. God used persecution so that the church would grow. But these leaders were faithful even in persecution. They didn't shy away from it, but they continued to remain faithful even amongst all the opposition that they were facing. And sixthly, we see the fact that they go to the ends of the earth. These believers went to the ends of the earth. They covered the entire known world at that time to proclaim the gospel. And there's examples throughout history of people that have gone to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel. I was reading the story of... Um, of three Canadian missionaries. And in 1893, they had a vision to evangelise the 60 million um, people that were in sub-Saharan Africa. They talked to the uh, mission agencies and basically the mission agency says, no, you cannot do that. And they said that this was, it was impossible to do this. But the three set out alone. Malaria overtook all three of them and two, and th- two of the three died in 1894 and one of them returned to Canada. The one remaining then did a second trip back to um, this region as well, and again he caught malaria, and he was forced to come back home to Canada. Unable to return to Africa, he was able to send out other groups, and the third team went out there, and they successfully established a base in 1902, and they established what we know today as the SIM mission. So these people were faithful to go out even though they knew that it was going to cost them so much. In fact, many dubbed that particular region that they went to as being white man's graveyard because of the high mortality of Western missionaries that went out there to proclaim the gospel. Diseases like malaria, yellow fever, uh, typhoid claim many, many victims. In fact, most missionaries, when they headed out to that part of the world, they would pack their belongings in their coffin and say farewell to their family because they knew that most likely 
they would need that coffin because they were not returning back to their home country again. But these people were prepared to go out and to remain faithful and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they pressed on with a sense of urgency because they knew that was what was God was calling them to. Now, the reality is for most of us, God is not going to call us to do that sort of thing. But these people were prepared to go to the ends of the earth because they knew that the gospel transformed lives and transformed communities, and they were willing to do that. So when it comes to us, I just want to go back to my X matrix and look at some of these things and how they, they look for us today. The reality is, at present, we live in an age where it's actually more difficult to travel. But what I want us to think about is, even though geographically we may be in the near side of things, there's still actually opportunities that we can be a part of reaching our Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. Think about your own context in regards to going out with the gospel. On the next slide up there, you'll see the fact, um, for us, our Jerusalem those geographically close to us may simply be those in our, in our own family. They may be those that are our friends. They may be those that are our flatmates. That we have opportunity to be able to share the gospel with those that within our immediate context. And we can do that. For those that might be in that sort of that next step out, that, what, that Judea and Samaria, possibly we might look at those as being our neighbours, our workmates, those at school or university that we're part of but there's opportunities for them to be able to hear the gospel as well as we take the good news out. And in the ends of the earth, the reality is, in many ways, the ends of the earth we see have come to us. If you look in our communities now, there's opportunities to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people that in not that long ago we would never have had any opportunity to have interaction and contact with. Uh, we see in our city today, we see people that are immigrants to New Zealand. We see refugees to New Zealand. Uh, we see people that are unchurched. We see people that are of different religious backgrounds than our own. The reality is these are people that we can be taking the gospel to because it transforms lives and we have an opportunity to be able to do that. The reality is the mandate of the book of Acts of going out to the ends of the earth with the gospel is just as relevant to us today as what it was to those believers back in Acts chapter 18. Our context may be different, but the reality is we need to be doing the same things that they were involved in doing. We need to be defending the faith. We need to be proclaiming the gospel. We need to be discipling believers. We need to be looking for opportunities to stand firm even amongst opposition, and we need to be going out with the gospel. I just want to share with you um, as I close... Um, some of what I've seen taking place in this regard um, in the context that I'm familiar with. Uh, as some of you might be aware, um, Carol and I had the opportunity last year to travel to, um, to Pakistan. And we went with a, a New Zealand-based mission agency called Bright Hope World. And they specifically work with the, uh, the poorest of the poor people. And that they're involved in being able to share the good news uh, in those uh, countries. And there's three partners that we were able to spend some time with that I just want to talk about in terms of people that are involved in actively taking the gospel to the place that God's called them to. So the first couple um, is Azam and Barbara. Hopefully you yeah, see a picture up there. Uh, this couple and their family there, um, 
they're itinerant in terms of what they do, so they're involved in uh, different churches, they uh, mentor church leaders, they go out and they do things like run sewing programs, and they also have established a school in their local community. And the reason for the school is so that they can specifically be able to provide education to children that might not normally be able to achieve it. Uh, And you'll see there the fact that they've also been involved in in baptisms as well. A number of people have become followers of Jesus Christ and that they're able to be a part of the local churches and to see people grow and mature in their Christian faith. They are examples of people that are taking the gospel into their own community and being a part of what God is calling them to. Uh, The next slide up there is Faisal and Banish. Uh, This is a young couple that we met and they're actively involved in, uh, in taking the gospel to the poor. They've set up an orphanage for those that either don't have families or cannot live with their families. And they've also been actively involved in, um, in taking relief to people that are suffering from the effects of COVID. You'll see a couple of the photos up there. Um, what you can see, that, particularly the one there on the, uh, on the right, top right, is a, is a brick kiln. And what happens in, in uh, Pakistan is that they make bricks by hand, and then they put them in a big kiln, and then they will fire the kiln, and then they will sell the, um, the bricks to the local community for, for construction purposes. The people that work in these uh, brick-making factories are day wages. So basically, you work for the day, you get paid for the day's work, and that's it. So if you don't work, you don't get paid. And at the moment, with the effects of COVID over there, it means that lots of people are not working, so therefore they don't get paid, and therefore they don't eat. So the relief that they're providing is quite significant in that particular area. And then the the last couple there is um, Edward and his wife, Shakila. And again, they're involved um, in church planting. They're involved in uh, various programs to educate people, but they're significantly involved in the work of relief at the moment as they take support to people in their communities because of the need that COVID has made over there. Currently they estimate they're probably spending about $5,000 a month in providing relief to the communities that they're part of. Um, Because as I said, these people, most are day workers. If you don't work, you don't get paid, you don't get paid, you don't eat. So it becomes very significant. And in fact, in uh, these people, their, their concern that in Pakistan, the biggest killer there is not going to be, um, be COVID. It will actually be the poverty and the, you know, the famine that r- results from that because they simply cannot afford to buy food. Um, if any of you are, are wanting to support some of what's going on here, come and have a talk to me. There's opportunities to, to pray for these people. There's opportunities to provide support to them. Uh, But to me, it's just a practical way that the gospel has gone out um, and it's transforming lives. These are not wealthy people. These are people that have come from uh, often Muslim backgrounds, but they have received the gospel and the gospel's transformed lives, the same as it did in Acts chapter 18, the same as what it does here in, in New Zealand. The gospel transforms lives, it transforms communities. And I guess for us, we need to look at how it is transforming us and what we are doing to take that same gospel out to the community that God has placed us in, to our families, to our friends, to the, uh, the neighbourhoods that we're part of 
and to our community as well. The gospel is needed as much today as what it was back in Acts chapter 18 when Paul and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla took that gospel out to other people. So that's my challenge. Be active in taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the communities God has placed us in. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the way that it transforms lives. And I thank you so much for the way that it has transformed uh, the lives of many of us that are here today, Lord. I pray that you would provide us opportunities to take that transforming gospel out into the communities that you have called us to, Lord. That we would be able to look for opportunities to share that same gospel with the friends, with the neighbours, with our uh, colleagues at school, within our workplace, within the broader community. Help us to be able to do that, Lord. Help us to see those opportunities. And Father, in the same way, I just want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. I thank you that day by day that they are out there sharing the love of Jesus Christ uh, through the gospel that they proclaim, but also through the practical deeds that they do. Lord, give us the passion for you. Help us to understand the importance of taking the gospel out to those that need it. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shore Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.